Here we go. Happy Friday, everybody. It is time again for Nudge Coach Happy Hour. Back, how's it going? Good. How are you doing over there? I'm good, man. So here's the deal. There hasn't been a ton of sleep uh, towards the back half of this week because the baby Leo, while he is the man, he is a very loud man. Um, so <laughs> I'm, uh, if I say I anything crazy, everyone please No sleep. <laughs> well, we do have a guest on the show tonight. I forgot to mention the guest on the Instagram live session beforehand, but I got new glasses. So I brought my new glasses to the show tonight. Oh, man. Guest specs. So guest specs. So if anyone's listening to this, I'm sorry, you don't get to see the guest specs, but anyone watching the YouTube, you do. So that's the benefit of the YouTube channel. There you go. If you there needed one more reason to check us out on YouTube, there you go. There we that's go. Very handsome glasses. There we go. Um, but yeah, no, so Instagram Live, we just closed that up. We hopped into here. So excited though, because I, I mean, this is the, I think at least this is stuff I geek out on probably the most that we talk about is kind of the business models associated with coaching. Oh yeah. Um, so where do you want to start, man? I mean, it's been a hell of a week. It's been a hell of a week. It's a short week. Um, so uh, we condensed all of our brain power into, you know, four, four days of sprinting. And now we're trying to unwind a little bit. Cheers and happy hour. <laughs> happy, happy hour to everybody. Happy, happy hour. Happy, happy hour for some reason. Um, but yeah, I think we're, let's just find a, the right place to dive into, you know, all the, a lot of the questions this week that especially Mac had coming up in his calls, I think we're around monetization models. Um, and so I wanted to dig into that a bit. And I don't know if I should cue you up in this way at the very beginning, Mac, because I want to speak at some point during this <laughs> also, but we alluded to um, considerations around unit economics and how to think about getting to kind of the revenue side of your yeah. model as you're developing your business. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. So this conversation came because I was working with a partner to create a bit of a pro forma for them to understand how they could kind of be reselling a coaching offering. And they were kind of exploring some different models and that kind of led to us looking at a little bit more of kind of the costs associated with it thinking about, you know, coaching systems, like if they're using something like Nudge or something else. And it kind of got to, we were starting to look at like the cost of using any system, you know, the cost per client for using any type of system. And it, it very quickly kind of brought up an interesting exercise where I thought, you know, hey, there may be a, a tool here or an asset we could put together for our partners and our audience in which we're kind of putting together maybe like a calculator mm -hmm. that kind of helps them combine all this so they get a better sense. Because I think it's easy when you're creating a product company to say, hey, look, I'm creating this widget. It cost me X number of dollars for all the pieces for this widget to produce this widget. Mm -hmm. I think in a service-based business, it's much more difficult and people, for one, I think undervalue their time and that's pretty typical. But I think there's other things associated with it that maybe they aren't thinking about. Um, and we, you know, we were talking on the Instagram live a few minutes ago about just that whole idea of, you know, I think it's for every hour you spend with a client, you're generally, you know, working on something for them on the administrative side for at least an hour, if not more. So there's just other things to factor into, but a lot of this also weaves back into the different types of models. And I think that's where, you know, we can kind of circle back on that blog post. I think, I can't remember who wrote this. One of us wrote it a few weeks ago regarding the different models we typically see. And I actually thought it'd be interesting to kind of touch on these because that's incredibly relevant for everything we're talking about. 
Well, it's good that you referenced this one because you wrote it and I edited it. So oh, there we go. We should Tag both team. know what's going on here. Um, so hopefully I didn't edit it so much that we are speaking different language, but <laughs> there yeah. are definitely some models here that I think we can mm-hmm. make make sense uh, to existing businesses out there that mm-hmm. are considering launching programs that are run online. Um, and that probably starts with, you know, brick and mortar businesses mm-hmm. who I certainly now more than ever are considering ways to monetize online programs, yeah. um, un- both unfortunately and hopefully fortunately, if, you know, you're listening to the right resources, hopefully tapping into resources, at least as smart as us. Um, but how to roll out online programs and monetize that side of a business, um, either in connection with a brick and mortar location um, on the on-site services, mm-hmm. um, some type of hybrid model is kind of the first place I think we can dive into. Yeah, and real quick, so this is the post, it's which online coaching business model is right for you in case anyone's wanting to, to read along or check this out. It is a longer post, which um, I think has got some, some good material in here, but if you Google that, nudge coach you'll you'll find it which online coaching business model is right for you i'll put it Um, in the show notes there you go yeah but yeah i think that the hybrid or like the brick and mortars you're mentioning that is typically i'd say a in most cases when we see that it's generally a company that was doing in person first and wanted to tie remote coaching into it so that was where it's kind of a more of a sequential process in that case and usually that can come in a couple different forms. Either that's something where they tack on the remote coaching piece as a value add saying, hey, look, you know, Phil, I've been working with you. Um, hey, we have a new offering in which I can now kind of extend the relationship and we'll kind of take it not just from in person, but also kind of asynchronous or remote. Um, but we also may see some organizations launch, you know, whether it's new tiers or fully remote from there. But I think there's some different ways we're seeing um, some of these brick and mortar locations get into this game, but it generally does start as an extension of their current offering. Yeah, that's right. And it can be, I mean, this is actually, it's an interesting place to start because it, it is pretty challenging from a metrics perspective to transition um, or to kind of add on, because there are a lot more inputs and outputs. If you're talking about running in parallel kind of brick and mortar activities, plus, you know, the online side, um, so it's interesting to jump into this one first, I think. Yeah, because it's th- where this one's a little bit different too. Is it's sometimes not necessarily for for revenue generation, and and not to say it's not tied to revenue, but it's not being launched as a hey, here's this offering, let's charge for it. It's sometimes mm-hmm. for retention, and I think I think the idea of remote coaching or remote engagement as a retention tool is incredibly overlooked. Mm-hmm. That especially, and I think this is in most cases we see this within like fitness businesses or medical practices that have kind of a coaching component, but that's where they say, Hey, look, I have a membership. I'm rolling out some kind of remote coaching or online coaching model. That's going to bolt on because ultimately I want to keep these members engaged and keep them paying for a longer period of time. Yeah. It's a great way for within that model of, you know, something on site to have a differentiating aspect of your offering. um, And also really stand out and be able to offer something pretty high ticket. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there aren't a ton of fitness businesses where you're going into, you know, whatever, if it's kind of small class settings or, uh, you know, a more traditional gym style setting, even if it's a really small boutique place, it's not a lot of places where you're getting the extra touch points that may be personalized when you're away to kind of keep you on track to show that, you know, 
at these businesses that I'm frequenting to take care of myself, really care that I'm taking care of myself and staying mm -hmm. on track in between sessions can really make a big difference. So it can totally be uh, a retention tool. Also as a huge differentiator, you know, you can think of it, rolling it into your subscription kind of level pricing, your membership based pricing as, you know, a higher price point or having it as an add-on. I think there are two different ways to approach yeah. that. What do you think about those two different options? Matt? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. And that's where I think the hybrid, you know, there probably is the most flexibility to it in terms of the different flavors you may see as a kind of a subset of it. Um, like I said, I think we typically see it in, I'd say fitness businesses and healthcare businesses probably the most because they kind of maybe started with brick and mortar and then rolled this up. Um, secondly, but yeah, I, I think as a high value is interesting because I can think of some partners that we work with where the idea was in doing so they wanted to introduce a higher ticket price mm -hmm. point. And this is a great, if you're looking for a way to increase your prices, I think this is a really tactful way to do it because you're not just increasing prices for the sake of increasing prices. You're introducing something new that you can use as a differentiator and a value add, as you mentioned. So mm -hmm. I, I really think it's overlooked. And I think more and more businesses that are brick and mortar, I'd, I'd hope they're exploring things like this. And to your point, with everything going on in the world, they probably are. But yeah, yeah. All the things you have on site, you have a lot of inputs, a lot of costs, overhead with brick and mortar. Um, adding something on when you already have kind of the personnel in place as well. Uh, to help manage some of these things and you know working with a you know a company like Nudge you can get enough input and training to get those people uh, ready to work remotely with clients pretty well um, you know it's not going to be a heavy add-on to your cost side mm -hmm. it could be a huge add-on to the revenue side uh, so it's really a good idea to explore those things and obviously right now uh, you know with a lot of a lot of businesses especially mm -hmm. small businesses out there in a crunch um, might be time to reach out, if not to us, then to someone who's, who's got some expertise in uh, packaging and putting together online programs. And resources. Yeah, one uh, kind of layer of this, I'd say, that's kind of interesting too, that we don't really touch on in that blog post, but I think it's something to be considering too, because I think we're seeing a new trend. I'd say group programming seems to really be taking off. I feel like I've seen a lot more on group programming yep. that I, I, you know, I'd, I'd almost want to point to some groups that I feel like are doing it well, like you know, Louise Parker in the UK, I think they're a great example of, of a group shout we've worked out. with. Yeah, that have really, yeah. <laughs> we'll have to give them a shout out on Instagram too and things like that. But <laughs> I think it's one, it's it's looking at what's working well. And I think what we're seeing is as groups are doing more and more online, I think, and sometimes group I think is, is misunderstood in a way because group programming can actually be, it's, yeah, it can be very scalable, but can also have some uncertainty to it because when you introduce group programming, Yes, content can be standardized, but ultimately what I tend to find is when you start throwing a group of people together and allowing them to communicate and support each other, that communication and that experience can go in a lot of different directions. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like Pandora's box. And I think it's something where it does take a little bit more thought than people may give it credit for, but I think it can be an incredibly effective model too, because it augments everything the coach is doing. So all to say, I think you're seeing some really neat models come up and some are one-on-one -on -one and some are actually, you know, seeing group and group can still be high value. Yeah. Speaking of, so I'm glad you brought this up because group uh, programming is actually one of my uh, 
one of my favorite subjects in a way right now because <laughs> I'm writing something on it. Um, so it's a really funny passion to have. Phil, it's, it's, where I love like business models and numbers, Phil likes group coaching programs. Group coaching, folks. There That's, we go. You just right in the sweet spot. It's my bailiwick. You guys can Google that term. Um, so there are different ways to do group programming. I'm glad you mentioned it can be sort of a, a higher touch, higher ticket thing that needs more consideration because you know, if you're early in a business and don't have a huge audience, you absolutely, I, I won't say absolutely, but unless you're well-funded and great at marketing, um, I don't think I would be launching out of the gate with like a really slick automated program uh, to a group coaching audience. No. You know, no. you're probably not going to make it out of the gates working that way because it takes so much hands-on validation to really... Yeah make sure that the idea is right, the execution is right. But what does really, really work for early stage coaching businesses who are interested in this kind of thing is to cohort and have fixed launch dates um, because that gives you so much leverage. And what I mean by that from a marketing perspective is if you have a fixed launch date, you have built-in urgency to sign up by a particular time and if it's marketed as a cohort, that's really a fit. The, the marketing is really a fit for needs of a person. It's really appealing to know that you're aligned with the people that are going through that with you. There's so much more of a inherent, like these people are like me feeling mm -hmm. on the way in the door that you can, you can really charge more and provide higher value to those people, bringing them through at the same time at a smaller number and, you know, maybe if, you're, if your long-term vision for your business is to launch this, you know, big sweeping, huge membership program with thousands and thousands of members, I would just say consider launching this as a cohort first. Uh, learn through that process. Charge a higher amount through that process because mm -hmm. you can be really high touch with, say, a cohort of 10 or 20 um, yeah. in your first couple of runs. And you are going to have to hustle for those individual clients, by the way. It's not easy to get 10 to 20 clients in a, in a cohort. I'd uh, also say, co I think cohort models are really, I think they're interesting for a lot of different reasons. And there's some companies that do it really well. I think I'll give a shout out also to the Functional Medicine Coaching Academy, because I think they also yeah. have built their business around a cohort model. And I know in businesses like that, they and I've heard from them before on this, that it, it really does give you so much more ammunition from a marketing standpoint. I think yep. evergreen programs can work and they can be really effective in certain ways. But I think from an administrative point of view, I can't stress that enough. If you have people starting on different days and you're trying to keep all these people going through the same program, you have to rely so heavily on automation that it, if it, it may be easier just to do a lot of this kind of small group or one-on-one -on -one first, just to kind of get all your systems in place first before you can jump down in, into that pond. But yeah. And I would say, you know, just from marketing experience, my take on automation at every stage is like every automation you put in place is an assumption about the experience someone wants to get. Um, so you're really, you're guessing at every step that you automate to some extent mm -hmm. about what the right way to present something is, or yeah, you haven't gone through the process of learning yet. If you haven't done the hands-on, the smaller scale, uh, work and, and gotten feedback on it yet. So I just, I, I'm a huge proponent of if you're going down the road of group pro programming, strongly considering a cohort model, a smallish cohort model that's high ticket first 
and then taking those lessons and transferring that into potentially a more scalable, more automated program. Yeah, because tying that tying that back into the numbers side, if you're running cohorts, say you're doing kind of one cohort a quarter, and to your point, 10, you know, you're working with 10 or 20 clients in that cohort. I mean, yes, that's a, that's a decent client load. That's not going to overwhelm you, I don't think, but so much. I think that's very manageable, especially for an individual. And you can get some really nice revenue from that. And if it, you know, you've, once you've done that for his cohort, you can reuse a lot of what you've probably created that you could really, I don't want to say have it on autopilot by any means, but once you get your systems in place, I mean, it becomes very much um, a process that's replicatable and things you can just be optimizing over time and eventually get it to a point you get to bring in other coaches and train them to kind of coach alongside it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even, even so, even as you become more programmatic about it, even as you're advancing, I would, there's an argument to be made for having kind of fixed open and closed dates for, you know, even if you have an online course, for example, um, I may have that fully automated, but Mm -hmm. I may still want just for marketing reasons to artificially create open and closed enrollment periods because it gives me that leverage with my marketing. How much, Um, how much time do you think, I mean, if you were going to launch say a cohort model, what, how much time would you give yourself in terms of lead time for promotion? If I, if I was pretty, pretty new in a business, I would give myself two months yeah. for sure. <laughs> I think that's um, a good point. Where we are now, I would, I would still uh, want a month to, to solid promote uh, that, that window. Um, and, you know, it's going to be, you, you'll want to have a pretty dialed in, pretty substantial workflow in place to hit all the, all the key value propositions that you can offer in there. Make sure people understand what they're getting, uh, simplify the steps involved. Um, clarity is one of the, your best tools when it comes to marketing. So pe- people could align with the outcomes and that, that you're, you're pitching to them and still just be a hesitant type of person when people don't deal well with uncertainty. So yeah, that's a good point. The second step out of, after kind of pitching the outcome that you know your target audience wants, your ideal customer wants, is then saying, "Oh, and here are the very specific steps I'm going to take you through," um, which is just a really high level summary of what you're offering. But the more you can nail it down to make it seem like, "Okay, this is I I know exactly what I'm getting out of this. I'm in." Um, you know, you're you're gonna convert a lot more people when you're able to do that. That's sort of the second phase of, of good marketing of a program like that. And I just wanted to add, I guess, one or a couple of recently that I've come across. And, and if you kind of troll around on Twitter for, um, you know, more influencer level online course creators, uh, coaching business owners, stuff like that, you'll come across this stuff every now and then. But um uh, one of the guys, I, it's one of the bare metrics guys, Mac, uh, Corey yeah, so he yeah. on the side does some online courses for marketing specifically. Mm-hmm. And he, you can go find Corey Haynes with a Y, um, on Twitter if you want to. And not too long ago, he tweeted about a test he ran where he did an open close enrollment for his courses, which had always just been open. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and he made like 14 grand in this little window where he hadn't been selling those courses very effectively at all as just completely open. Yeah. Because he was able to change the messaging and market. Was he doing any promotion during the evergreen period or was it? 
I, I assume he was, and, yeah. and you know, this is just one case study out of Twitter. So I, pull, yeah. I pulled that off the top of my head because I just saw it. But um, I'm telling you, as, as someone who worries about this a lot, mm-hmm. having that leverage of, hey, this is when it's open, this is when it's closed. Again, it's just all the more clarity you can provide people who are making this decision. Oh, I know I have to decide now if I'm going to decide. I'm in. You know, they have to make that call. Yeah, that it's... You know, it's interesting you say that because I think what happens is when when a coach is launching an offering, I think we all get so anxious to start generating revenue that it's just the it takes a lot of patience, I think, to to kind of be level headed enough to say, hey, look, I'm actually just going to hit pause for a second. Yep. Make sure this programs, you know, maybe you tested it with somebody. I always encourage that for sure. But instead of just, you know, going ahead and trying to sign anyone you can kind of putting your focus into some kind of cohort model, structured launch, two mo- maybe two months of promotion to your point. There's something to be said for that. And I, I think it is interesting. And I'd be curious to see yeah, if you find that, we should definitely include that link in the show notes because I think that is a helpful resource for people to kind of understand. Yeah, no doubt. And so another thing that it does, and this may be an underrated piece of it, especially for if you're kind of an early phase small business, maybe it's just you right now is it, it builds in a layer of accountability to yourself that you can't avoid. Yeah. Like I'm going to have this fixed open and closed date to this. I have to have everything ready by that closed date. And I have to make sure that my marketing's on point before I hit that open date. Yep. Um, you know, it's things like that are underrated when you're just getting started, I think, because it's so easy just to say, I can do this on the fly. Yeah. Well, I, I and I think, yeah. And I, I think there's some, some there's a ripple effect here where, like I said, I think once you've done it, you're setting yourself up, I think, for scalability moving forward. And I think alleviating a lot of stress moving forward, because if you're, like I said, I think you can put yourself in a much better cash position, especially too, if you're having people pay up front for the program that they're in. Geez, imagine if you were running these one a quarter, maybe each one's a thousand dollars and you have 10 people in there, or you have 20 people in there boom, you've just you know, brought in 10 or 20 grand. Um, yeah, yeah, which gets to another potential yeah. topic. I, I'm just flying all over topics here. So maybe I should settle down a little bit. Um, you know, if, if you're cash strapped, one of the best things you could possibly do is, is build out a really good pre-sale campaign. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> um, to try to collect some cash before you even open an enrollment. Um, and, you know, that's just something I would look into as well. I can't really rattle off yep. how, how to structure that campaign on a podcast, but um, just file that away as a tactic that you could potentially use if you need to pull in some money potentially to apply to marketing during that open enrollment, this, pre-sell, raise money for your marketing, market and sell. And then you're kind of, it's it's a wash from the jump there and, and the rest is just profit. This gets back to that whole idea because you see some really cool concepts in the software as a service space or SaaS space. I think this is one of those lessons too that you're seeing some pretty innovative startups pull off that I, I would love to see more people kind of doing some more pre-marketing and pre-order type activities. Um, I just, I, oh man, I, I posted something on LinkedIn about this about a week ago, talking how, how really if we were going to relaunch Nudge again, I would for just a year do nothing but write content. I wouldn't focus on anything else. Just we'd, we'd write a lot of content. We'd be generating, you know, podcast webinars. You Capture a bunch it. of leads. Yeah. Capture a ton of leads. We'd build up the email list first. I mean, I think we've done a pretty decent job on that, but I think it's one of those things where I think especially 
you know, kind of first time entrepreneurs, I think typically do this. They get so focused. I'm, I'm saying coaches fall into this too. You get mm-hmm. so focused on your offering that you create it in a vacuum and you forget about the whole idea of, of acquisition and getting customers. And I think if you can do that really in a way that this kind of gets back to the influencer model, Hey, full circle, we're kind of touched on all the other themes we've touched on previous episodes. That idea that you've kind of, you've created content, you've built a list, you've, you've built a relationship with a group of people and really understood the pain points they have. And I think that's where there's just really something to be said as we're kind of tying all these pieces together. Um, yep. Yep. So pretty interesting. Yep. So we led into all of that with the intro of the sort of hybrid model. I think we touched on what a fully remote mm-hmm. model would look like throughout all of that, potentially yeah. all these tactics that you can do to monetize that effectively, especially if you're new again, cash is king. If you're new, uh, if you're kind of in an early stage yeah. in your coaching business. So be cash conscious at every stage and do a lot of these things, employ these tactics until you get to a certain point, like, upfront payments, pre-sale opportunities to make sure you're getting cash in so that you can put cash back out into in the form of mm-hmm. investment in terms of marketing and stuff like that. One thing I'd maybe just say about the fully remote before we transition past it is just, I think there is a misconception out there in the market that online or remote programming is potentially less valuable or cheaper than in person. And I think this is something we used to say pre-COVID. And I think now people are kind of realizing, hey, it really doesn't matter. Those lines have blurred. But I felt like that was something we were really having to open people's eyes to six months ago or a year ago, where yeah. hopefully now everyone sees it. Hey, look, you can be just as effective on a Zoom call in most cases. And I know we even have a, um, there's that one case study we have on our website about that um, one group that was using our platform that essentially was uh doing that weight loss study. Remember they kind of compared in-person versus fully remote weight uh, loss yep. and the efficacy of programming. And I remember the data was, was hardly different between the two. I mean, it was virtually equal. Yeah. 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 And it was a pretty, it wasn't a huge sample size, but it was largely equal. And I think it just really highlights that this day and age, you know, just because you're remote doesn't mean you have to charge $50 a month. And I, that's what always drives me crazy is, you know, you can still deliver a high value or a high ticket offering. So. No, it's potentially the same value. The way I would think about it, same value, same type of program, different communication channels. Yeah. So all Maybe you're doing more is, value. You're with people more. You're in their pocket. Yep. You're catering your messaging to these different communication channels. So, you know, whereas if I'm sitting knee to knee with someone, you know, I, I have opportunities to have these long-winded conversations, dive into different things. I'm obviously very conscious of, um, you know, my body language and all that stuff. Things that coaches are really innately great at or have trained on for their whole lives, a lot of them. Um, but, you know, when we're talking about more remote coaching, it's into things like, okay, I can communicate asynchronously through text or through my coaching platform, whatever. Um, I need to be really concise with that communication. This isn't an email I'm sending. I, this communication, this push notification they're going to get is going to feel like more like a text. So I got to be really concise. Mm-hmm. I got to call them to action with it so that I'm getting some, some type of reciprocity out of it and know they're with me. Um, these little things are the changes. It's not, oh, I'm worth half as much because I'm in this little box in front of them instead of, you know, in person. That's a really funny way to think of it. I'm worth half as much because I fit in this little rectangle in front of you. That is, uh, I hadn't heard that. I, I do appreciate that. Where do we go from here? I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> 
No, we've got we've got one more on here. We do have one more. Um, I would probably just preface this by saying I wouldn't necessarily start here. I think this is a good um, good thing to explore. Maybe once you've gotten your program launched and you can have some reps um, under your belt. What I'd say here is this is where we get into the last one, which is more of using the idea of remote coaching in more of a marketing or a prospecting capacity, which we've seen some really cool things. Just as like a high level where we see this a lot is in our partners that are doing coaching within like corporate populations. What they'll do is they'll go in with like a steps challenge as like the foot in the door. So we see more and more that um, some of our coaching partners will kind of use challenges as a way in which to, for instance, get the platform on people's phones. And then once they have that, they're able to start kind of pushing, you know, push messaging to them to help kind of drive them to maybe do a free consult before getting into coaching. So if you think about that funnel, they're kind of using something like a challenge or some kind of group activity as a stepping stone to get people into coaching. And we've even seen um, a group we've done some work with strength matters. Who's in this blog post that we reference that we even did a bit of a case study with them where they even did a paid promotion through Facebook in consumer channels to do one. And they had incredible results getting people into one of their coaching models. So that's, like I said, I don't think it's a good place to start, but there's some really cool things you can do there from a marketing perspective. Yeah. Phase two, phase three. And you know, there is something to be said for getting people in the door and getting used to this type of, of coaching. I, I totally agree. This is a scale play typically. Um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, the tactics around it are not terribly complicated mm-hmm. necessarily for a marketing approach. If you can, you know, clearly the, the trick is making sure you're getting the right people. So if you have a confined, confined audience already, say you're, so strength matters has a big audience. They're a publication, uh, for example, uh, they have a lot of media, a lot of content out there already. They have a clear understanding of who their target is and how to speak to those. So they could really easily promote this, um, and get it out to the right people by saying, hey, participate with us in the steps challenge. This is going to be fun halfway through. Hey, have you noticed those people at the top of the leaderboard? Funny how most of those people are working with our coaches. And then at the end, hey, closing ceremonies, webinar, look who won. Hey, by the way, keep working with your coach for X amount of dollars a month or for this period um, and knocking out that cell there. And they they did an incredible job just building out this campaign. They converted a hell of a lot of people. And I... I can't remember the exact numbers from it back, but the ROI was something like 10 X on using our platform Yeah, uh, because the campaign was so well structured. Yeah. And, and I, I think granted, that's why I'd, I'd say this probably isn't a phase of one thing, but a, a subsequent one, because you know, they're, I, I'd be the first to tell you, I think they're, they're phenomenal at digital marketing. And I think they've done some incredible things Like their messaging's great. They're using automation in the right ways. And I think, that was one though, to your point, I think they had something like 80% of the participants decide after it was like a 21 day challenge to opt in to, you know, or continuing the relationship with their coach. And I think it just, you know, it, it, what they found that I thought was a great takeaway from it is it was a certain day of the 21 days. They felt like a person would be getting the most value. That was like the pinnacle of value. I'll say it was like day 15 or day 16 or something that's when they just sent a simple yes, no question to those participants that, Hey, if you found value, you want to keep working with the coach, just say yes. And then we'll go ahead and transition you into this, this monthly subscription. And it was such, you know, you've, in that case, you've kind of removed the sale at that point. You're just having a conversation with someone saying, Hey, did you find value? Are you getting something out of it? 
and just making it that simple yes, no question. And they were able to get some incredible results from, I think it was, like I said, 50 paying subscribers or 50 paying coaching clients transitioning out of that challenge. And I think in a corporate, if you're thinking about a corporate setting, if you were going to launch a challenge to maybe a thousand people, you could probably pull off some similar things by using, by kind of structuring the funnel in that kind of way. Yeah, no, it's really interesting what they could pull off, but I guess, so, so let's kind of circle back on, on what we've covered here. We've got, um, we've got the hybrid model, uh, brick and mortars launching online programs to either complement, supplement or replace what they were doing on site. Mm -hmm. Um, really interesting stuff that can be done there. Talked about within all of these situations, monetization models, and why you might want to have an open close window for registration and enrollment, why you might want to start with specifically small cohorts so you learn more about your program before you start automating things. Um, and then we got into this kind of scale play where you can launch chart, uh, uh, marketing campaigns to uh, based around challenges to pull more people in, get more people yep. in your funnel, and more easily convert those people to paying clients. Recap. We, we nailed that was that, a great right? recap, man. I'm glad we're recording. I should sleep less. That's sleep what we learned. Sleep less. <laughs> do less. Do less. Um, I, th and I think that was most of the, I think that that's really, I think you summed it up great. I think that those are really the main ones. There's probably a lot of, there's probably variations across those, but I'd say from, from where I sit today in the amount of time we spend during implementations, that is typically the most of the implementations we work on probably fit within those four. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, let's, let's call it a week then. How about it? I I'm think we did pretty at, well here. We did well, I think looking ahead. So it looks like next Friday, both of us are on the road. So probably need to record this on, on a Thursday, which means people are going to have the benefit of probably getting this on the Friday before the weekend. So yeah, we should maybe even consider, consider doing that every week. I don't know. We may get to it guys. We'll think <laughs> about it. We'll see. Um, uh, it would kind of be like this week since we started this week on Tuesday after the holiday, be more like moving everything up a day and yeah. boom, knock it out Thursday, happy hour, publish it Friday, happy hour. It's uh, a slippery slope if we're just introducing happy hours on different weekdays. Yeah. Uh, I should definitely take it easy on the size of the wine glass I'm using, uh, if we're going to do that. So give yeah. me some heads up. Well, on the benefit, I'm looking at my schedule for next week and it looks hellacious. So there <laughs> should be some really good content that comes out of it. And I'll probably be a bit loopy when it's all done. So I know it's going to be good guys. <laughs> it be a good episode. <laughs> Feel good about it. So if you're excited about loopy Mac, check us out. There we go. The nudge cast is on basically every platform that you can get a podcast on. I may be overstating that slightly, but it's definitely on most of the big ones. Nice um, and if you like video, I, I promise Mac's new glasses are very handsome. Check us out on YouTube. Um, if you're on one of those podcast apps, give us a five-star rating because that would be cool too. Yep. Hey, and, I appreciate it. And certainly send us any questions or thoughts, comments you all have for, for future episodes. Happy to right, factor them in. Podcast at nudgecoach.com. All right, guys, be good. Have a good weekend. Bye.